Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the inaugural episode of the College Chaos Podcast. I am Garrett Ross alongside my man, Jack McKenzie, and we have a ton of stuff to get to today. Uh, we're going to take a look at the national championship game coming up on Monday. Uh, we will also get into the ever-changing landscape of Pac-12 quarterbacks, which has really been remarkable when you look at this conference really being on the deathbed and now rising like a phoenix. Uh, we'll also get into what the hell is going on in Stillwater, Oklahoma, man. Like there, I, I don't know exactly. It's just utter chaos. So we're definitely going to dive into that. And we're also going to talk a little hoops. And we got a big game coming up, top 25 matchup on Saturday here in Waco. Heck yeah. Between K-State, Jerome Tang coming back. You got uh, Baylor men coming off an of 0-2 start in conference play, which really is... Really rough loss. Bro, that is not ideal for anybody. But um, let's get into this. So if you haven't seen us before, uh, we're usually behind the scenes in everything that goes on here with 365 Sports and also Sikkim365.com. Uh, Jack is tremendous at what he does. Um, thank you, regarding thank you. Photos, video, all of that stuff. The man kills it. Uh, I'm usually producing the afternoon show, 365 Sports, with Smokey Paul and Craig. Uh, I've been with them for a minute, uh, really going back to like 2017. Uh, so it's been an honor to come over here and get reunited with those guys. I also do some women's basketball coverage. Free Dre all day. I'm talking to you, Kentucky. Um, <laughs> but, you know, uh, but before we do this, man, let's just dive into this. So when you look at this game, uh, it's going to be interesting because, uh, full disclosure, I'm an LSU fan when it comes down to it. So you would think, like, I'm riding with the SEC. That's not the case. I want the Frogs to win this matchup. And, Jack, I was last night I was going home, and I was listening to the Snaps podcast with T-Bob Haybear and Aaron Murray. And if you're not listening to this podcast, you are doing a disservice to yourself, America. I guess I'm doing a disservice to Bro, myself. Bro, you got to get on this. Yeah. Uh, but the funny topic they were bringing up is how – do you ride with your conference in a game like this, or do you ride with a team in general? And it reminded me of a conversation that we were having last week, you and I and Jacob Wilson, uh, who also does – he's host of the Shooting the Shield podcast. Uh, get on to that. And he also does some production work, tremendous uh, behind the camera as he well. He does a bunch of the production work uh, for Grayson here on Crystal Ball College Football. Yeah, absolutely. Jacob's uh, one in a million guy. and But it, it was funny because – I'm of the camp where I'm riding with TCU in this matchup, and I know you're the you know you're a Baylor I, alum. Yeah, I I don't think I I can ride with TCU. I, I think it's going to be a good game, but my conference allegiance only goes so far, and I guess that's what we're about to get into a bit. Yeah, but you know, so I, I, when I'm looking at this matchup, man, I want the Frogs to win. I think they've been a tremendous story all year long, um, and then when you, you go in and you look at that game with Michigan. Nobody gave them a chance. They've been the underdog all year long. They come out, punch them in the mouth, keep rolling. And I'm not saying that they're going to be able to do that against Georgia. This is going to be a totally different matchup. But I feel like they could really – that 3-3-5 is going to be able to test Georgia. I'm not worried about their offense. I feel like they're kind of suspect other than Bowers. But 
What are you looking at as far as keys into this game, and why are you so high on Georgia, other than you don't want the Frogs to win? I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm so high on Georgia. I really do think that um, that it's going to be a somewhat close game. In my mind, it's going to end up being one of those games that's like two possessions, final score lines one, TCU can't get like an onside kick at the end. But I think that all comes down to the advantage Georgia will, I believe, have in the trenches. I think that's where they're going to limit TCU's run game. They're going to make them a bit more one-dimensional. Uh, but even then, Ohio State seemed like they were kind of way too one-dimensional, and they still put up 41 and honestly had kind of should have won that game. Yeah, I understand that. When I'm looking at this, I think the first thing you're going to look to in any college football matchup is the quarterbacks, right? Like they're going to get the garnered the most attention. And when you look at Stetson Bennett, he's got the natty under his belt, but it's not necessarily from the work he's done, right? It's the pieces around him, and they've done a really good job. They're so cohesive. Max Duggan, on the other hand, while he's got the pieces around him, he's got more of that dog in him. Like, oh, yeah. You know, like I mean, he's he, going to just run through a wall. He bro. is putting them on his back sometimes, and like that's the kind of quarterback I'd love to play for. It's, it's the kind of quarterback, I hate to say it, it's tough to root against. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude. But, like, I just – I don't think he can carry him through – he can carry them through this one. I think he can. And the, the reason I say that is I feel like his feet, his versatility uh, will give Georgia some trouble. I think that when um, you look on the outside, I think when you got a guy like Quentin Johnson that you can really rely on, um, I don't think that while Georgia's defense is really their, their bread and butter, their secondary is suspect. I think Ohio State yes. really proved that, um, you know, and if – if um, Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't get hurt, that's possibly a different game. Jackson oh, Smith and yeah. Jigba, you know, he didn't play. And while Georgia's secondary has seen some offenses this year, I mean, going back to Tennessee, right? Like they held Tennessee in check and kind of made – really just kind of ended their hopes for anything. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of a sad one. <laughs> it was it was sad. You know, I wanted to see Hendon Hooker see do his new thing. Blood. I anyway, like Jalen Hyatt, but I, I they just – They went out there and they earned it. They did, you know. But I feel like they haven't really seen receivers – of the caliber that TCU has. And outside it, of Quentin Johnston though, like Quentin Quentin's on a different level, but like I don't, I don't know about the others. Okay. I I feel like Quint well I believe yes. I, I believe across the board TCU is better than most of the cores that they have that Georgia has seen this year. Um and it's just going to be interesting to see if they could take the top off of that. What really concerns me in this matchup, if you're a Frogs fan, is, like you said earlier, the depth in the trenches. Uh, when you look at Georgia, man, you got guys like Jalen Carter on the line, uh, and you got even um, some other players. But I got my phone ringing over here, NRS. Uh, <laughs> but um, so I really feel that's going to be the thing, because when you go back to even when Baylor saw Georgia, um, it was they were young. This core group right now was young, but it's just so much depth. They're able to rotate in and out. I think if TCU's offensive line can hold up, uh, the Frogs have a great chance. But they they haven't been able to. While Michigan was probably the best, do you think Michigan was the best defensive line they played? Uh, oof, I mean, yeah, I think so. Because I'm I'm trying to think back through their season, and Texas's defense definitely came on. They struggled there. Baylor's def defensive line had the talent. They did not produce anywhere near they sh the, where they should have, uh, but they had the talent, and that was a close-ass close, close -ass game. So, it was. I, I, but, uh, it, all right, so it, it make, the amount they were able to score on Michigan makes me question how good of, uh, how good of a def defense as a whole that was, but 
Georgia just has those different guys. They do. They've got possibly the best defensive lineman in the nation, and that means something. It does, and I always I could not think of Jalen Carter without going back to that LSU game when he picked <laughs> he up Jalen Daniels up like Jaylen a rag doll, bro. That was so <laughs> that, disrespectful. That, that, that stole my oh soul. Oh my god! Uh, but you know, I think TCU is going to be interesting because they really have to come out and get the ground game established. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I don't really know if Kendra Miller is going to be available. I, I know yesterday. Um, on 365 Sports in the afternoon, the voice of the Frogs, Brian Estridge, was on there, and he was talking about how he believes Kendra Miller will play. Obviously, it's questionable, and you're going to say that up until the last one. He's going to play. Yeah, he's going to play. play. And he essentially was like – Now, it's how effective is he when he's playing. That's true. But he was essentially like, you know, you're going to have to take his helmet. And I think you will, but what you saw – from uh, DiMicardo, if you're a Frogs fan, has definitely got to give you some hope, man. He really balled out. He had a career high over 150 He's a yards. He's solid back. He is. He's a solid back. And then you throw in, okay, I'm going back home to Cali. Yep. Like, dude, you can literally go outside and <laughs> their, see the their stadium. media notes. But they said uh, he grew up walking distance from SoFi Stadium. Like, uh, check the math there. I don't think he was. I don't think SoFi Stadium existited when he grew up there. <laughs> <laughs> it probably didn't, but you know. You know, yeah, it's, I, I it's, know. it was gotta, that old parking st- lot over there. You got to put stuff like that in there. but like, yeah, The thing with me is the depth. Like, I think that TCU being such an old team is really going to benefit them. Uh, when you look at their roster, man, they got eight guys who have started over 30 games, 14 who have started over 20 while everybody's going to look at the talent and they're going to be like, well, Georgia's got the blue chips. There's all that disparity. I don't give a damn, dude. Like, if experience sometimes outweighs talent, and I think you see that a lot of times, and that's one of those aspects, man, that gets overlooked. And in a game like this, uh, TCU's already feeling disrespected. They felt they've been the underdog all year long, but I think that not many people believe it. No, and I don't understand it at this point. Like, what the? Why are you not giving them their due respect? It's because they're small, they're private. Like, I, for me personally, I hope I'm giving them the respect they deserve. Like, I think they have every shot at winning this game, but where the experience comes in, I think, is if they keep it close. If it is tight in the third quarter, that's when that experience means that much more. Those extra starts that TCU has on those young blue chips at, at Georgia, that's when I think that they can start being like, "We've been here. We've earned all this. We know what we're doing. We're like, we're the real dogs in this fight. They're the young guys who don't know what this this adversity is like. They've been through the knife fight of the Big Twelve. They they had to survive here in Waco. They had to survive down in Austin. They they had to keep winning these close games. They've been doing it all year. So. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, too. Like, when you look at TCU, they're not scared of competition. And they're, what, undefeated in one-point, one-score games? I think other other than going back to the Big 12 championship, um, you know, and obviously that was, that was one bad play call away from them coming away victorious. Yeah. And, and, look, I'm not going to take anything away from K-State. Their defense played tremendous. Knowles got hurt. It is what it is. Uh, and I think that, you know, Losing to TCU earlier in the year kind of puts a little ump in your step. You want to come back and yeah. get, get it on them. But I, I just really feel like TCU isn't scared of the moment. Um, I, I think that they're looking over across the line and they're thinking, okay, well, it's the SEC power. Everybody's going to – but that doesn't – while a lot of people, when you step on the field, you might be intimidated by the aura or you're playing the defending champion. TCU's got some grit, dude. Like, they don't give a damn. Uh, and that's Sonny one of the Dykes things – don't give a damn. He doesn't. And his team don't give a damn. And, and I think it's one of the most beautiful things. Um, but so I, when I look at this and – 
I thought going back to that podcast last night, just listen to Aaron Murray. He was talking about the three three five because that was a big point of emphasis on the Michigan game. They thought that they were going to – the Wolverines thought that they were just going to come in and pound the ball, pound the ball. That's what they want you to do, dude. Yeah. They want you to run right through the gaps. Um, but I, I think that that defense is going to be set up perfectly because when I look at this Georgia team, while they're, they're, very, they're, they're very sound, their running game hasn't been what it's been in the past. Um, their offensive line, it, while it's good, they, they don't have the depth and they don't have the, the consistency of the defensive line. So I think they're vulnerable. Um, their playmakers on the outside, while they're good, and most, most teams in the nation would take them, they're not elite. I think TCU has more team speed. They have more playmakers on the offensive side uh, to match up with. And I think that's really going to be a key in this game. Um, and that's why I'm kind of leaning more towards the frogs here, dude. Yeah, I, I, I see all that. I hear all that. And I still think, man, Georgia just knows how to put all those pieces together. They're not they're not blowing you away at any single position there on offense. Tight end. He's injured though, isn't he? Nah. Bowers is gonna play. Bauer, is he gonna be able to play full out though? I think even then, I still think they're deep. They know how to play within themselves. They know their roles, and they go out there and they execute. That's fair. I can see that. But all right. Why do you think, like, like when you look at this matchup, what makes you nervous about? Like, does, what's what's the most concerning thing if you're a TCU Horn Frog? Like, when you look at Georgia, what scares you the most about that team? Honestly, there's no individual that scares me besides Jalen Carter, maybe, and uh, it's just that they grind you out more than Michigan ever did all year. They made it through the SEC. They they take down high-powered offenses like Tennessee. They just go and they handle their business. That's fair. So, all right, so this game right now, when you're looking at it, it's what's a 14-point spread. I feel like this game could go either way. I know we were talking before we went on air, and I felt like this could be a low-scoring game. I think people are looking at it and expecting a big, high-flying matchup like we saw in the semifinals. Yeah, I mean, after those semifinals, it would feel weird if it wasn't. But that's the thing. I feel like once both teams have put enough on film after that game to where TCU can look at how Ohio State attacked them. And I think that Georgia hasn't been tested all year like that. So they're going to tighten that up. But I just feel like TCU has the opportunity to methodically pick them apart. And I don't know if if the defenses are going – I think the defenses are going to clamp down compared to what we saw last week. I feel like once you know uh, you've had some of those vulnerabilities tested, uh, you get the the work put in, and I think you're going to see more of a slow-flow game um, compared to what we saw last week. And, and I think that's going to be like, if you're Georgia, you know you're going to let TCU run on you, but you can't let Quentin Johnson beat you. Uh, you can't let Jared Wiley get involved. I, mean, I think he's kind of a guy that, while we're all the when you look at the tight end position, all the talk is going to go over to Brock Bowers. I think Jared Wiley can be a key factor um, and kind of like a, the underlying Robin that sneaks in and steals the show uh, for TCU. Uh, but at the same time, it's going to be tough. Georgia's tough. But I think this could be one of those games where everybody's expecting it to be a shootout, but we're going to see the complete opposite. I see you on that. I hear you on that. I fully disagree on that. That's fair. I, I think you see all those weaknesses exposed, and I think that the offensive schemes and the individuals executing those schemes are just going to be too damn good to be to be stopped, even with the adjustments. I just I do not 
I do not see it going down below mid thirties. Ah, man, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see. That, but looking at this, TCU has won four consecutive games over ranked opponents. Um, and I think that when I just, I, I don't see, I don't see Duggan, Johnston, Miller, DeMarcado. I don't see those guys not putting up 35. And I still think they're the team that's going to lose. They can put up 35. And I think most of the thing is going to, they're going to have to, to really test uh, Georgia's secondary. I think that's where they're kind of vulnerable. Uh, when you look at a guy like Keely Ringo, you know, while he's had his bright moments, even going back to the national championship uh, against Alabama, or the big, the, yeah, when he got the pick six, he's been kind of suspect this year. So I'm really interested to see what he's able to do. And if they, if Georgia can draw up, because he can't single cover, he's not going to be able to single cover um, Johnson. So how do they do that schematically? Um, if they start playing zone, they're just going to get killed with mesh routes and, and under Sam over mics and plenty of that stuff. So like, I, like, I am nervous for Georgia's secondary. I am too. So when you're looking at this and you're, you're expecting it to be a high-flying affair, what's, the, what's, what's your outcome? What's your, what's your score looking like for this game? My score is looking something like 45-42. TCU misses that onside kick after they get it to 42, you know? All right. I think I'm going to ride. I'm going to take TCU. I'm going to go TCU 37-35 to 35 in this matchup. Um, okay, that's not as low as I thought you were Well, I, the more – you kind of made me nervous, dude. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was thinking like in the 20s for a second, and then I was like, man. Oh, stick with it. Uh, stick with it. Come on. Dude, I can't, man. I, <laughs> I, I don't want to be that guy that, that just gets, you know, shamed like that. But, but No, man, wa watch it come true now. Watch it come oh, true. Oh, it definitely will. That's how it works, bro. And that's how that works. But, you know, what's funny is Ohio State was – was just they, they got lucky to get in there to play Georgia. Uh, I think a lot of people really expected USC to sneak into that, um, which was really intriguing. And they really just kind of shit the bed in the, the Pac-12 championship. Utah just took it to them, and it is what it is. But when you have a guy like Caleb Williams, you know, everybody wanted that storyline. And it made me think, dude, about how the Pac-12 next year is going to be so loaded at the quarterback position after just, just coming from – dead dude like I, and I don't think anybody was expecting honestly I think everybody was expecting Oregon and Washington to to bounce and this thing to fold uh, that's obviously still up in the air Kevin Warren the Big Ten commissioner is we don't know what he's going to do he's got one foot out the door looking at NFL things uh, yeah, but there's a lot of stuff up there, in the there's air. a lot going on but I want to dive into these Pac-12 quarterbacks I think it's an intriguing storyline and it's a lot that we can get into so that's what we're going to do next uh, right here, we're going to get into the Pac-12 quarterbacks. You're listening to the College Chaos Podcast, part of the 365 Sports Network. Welcome back into the College Chaos Podcast. Garrett Ross and Jack McKenzie with you. And it is time to talk about the Pac-12 and the ridiculous amount of talent that they're going to have coming back at the quarterback position next season. It's insane. Jack, if I would have told you at the start of this, this year, next year, when you look at the, the landscape of college football, the, 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 I guess the, I don't know, the, the vantage point, the, the crown jewel of quarterbacks is going to lie out on the West coast. What would you have said to me? What are you smoking, man? <laughs> well, that West Coast. <laughs> Honestly, though, I'd be like, it fits. It fits, but, like, I, I did not see this coming. No. Like, I, it's like I woke up one morning, and all of a sudden, 
everyone decided to like just go chill out in California. <laughs> it's really weird. And I think that when you see the success, um, there, there's really not much pressure out there. Um, and I feel like you can go out there and be successful. A lot of these offenses are, are starting to progress. You're starting to see more and more youthful coaches, um, modern thinkers go out there. And I think that really is appealing to a lot of the young kids. Um, you know, we see across the, the ever-changing landscape that some of these guys, um, like, you know, for instance, Dabo Sweeney. I think Dabo Sweeney out at Clemson is getting a little tired of the modern era of college football where you're yeah. having to constantly recruit your own roster. You're constantly having to look at NIL, and he's not a big NIL guy. Um, and I think that that's really kind of what led to DJU. Well, obviously, his play on the field was not yeah, don't, don't, what, it, what it Don't undersell the play on the field aspect. It, 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 was, it was bad, but I think a lot of it also goes into the comfortability uh, of, of the scheme and, and everything out there. So I think you're seeing a lot of guys who are in, in these types of systems who really want something new. They want something fresh, something they can relate to. And, and I think that's what the, you're starting to see in the Pac-12. And, you know, DJ U going out to Oregon State kind of caught everybody by off guard, in my opinion. Um, I figured that a team like Baylor could have been in the mix for him. Uh, I know Hawaii was thrown out there, which I thought was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, that, that's a bit of a stretch. A, a bit? <laughs> <laughs> Bro, that's a whole stretch. But, but you know, it, it's, it's really intriguing. I, I'm, I'm, when you look at the Beavers, you know, last year, I think everybody kind of left them for dead. Nobody thinks of Oregon State. I know. And look at what they did. They just ground their way to top, what, 15 finish? Yeah, they finished 14th in the nation. They were 10-3 and on the season, 6-3 and in conference play. It was really remarkable. And I think that when you get another year, you get another offseason, you get a guy like DJU, that can really just change the whole landscape of what you're doing out there. And I, I think I said this to you the other day. When is the last time anybody was like, yo, I can't miss that Oregon-Oregon State game this year? I, I honestly I can't think of it. I'm a sicko. I would watch that game in a heartbeat, no matter what, just because Apple Cup, yeah. Civil War, any of that. I'm oh, hold, there on, hold, for on, it. hold on, hold on, hold on. We can't say Civil War no more. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> no, but dude, but, for real, like, bro, honestly, I, I cannot wait to watch Oregon, Oregon State, Bo Nix going up against DJU. It's going to be ridiculous. And just let's look at some of these quarterbacks that you're going to have out there next year. So Bo Nix is obviously coming back for Oregon. I think it was really impressive, the kind of revival of his career after the just complete dumpster fire that took place at Auburn. And I'm not going to put that all on Bo. Uh, you can't put that all Oregon on Bo. I mean, uh, Auburn is such a toxic environment at times, and the expectations down there are just really ridiculous for what they're, where they're at as a program. I mean, it's dangerous when you mix uh, high expectations and little brother syndrome. Yeah, <laughs> dude, like, that's, deadly, that's, man. that's a dangerous mix. That, that's how you end up with trees poisoned and everything else. But Ooh, so, yeah. so, <laughs> that. so uh, the one thing with, with Bo Nix, though, uh, while he made, I mean, just leaps and bounds to, to where he was going to go, can't, what's he going to look like next year with Kenny Dillingham no longer you know, being his offensive coordinator as he yeah. goes over to take over Arizona State? I, I think that's going to be an intriguing matchup, but – I, what he's his growth though, I think he's going to be fine. Oregon is going to be fine. Um, they're a tremendous program, and then he's also if and tune out, plug your ears, Baylor fans. <laughs> he's going to be tutoring um, Austin, Austin Novosad coming over, so that's going to be intriguing. Another one, man, Michael Penix Jr. Yeah, Washington. just go a little north, and you've got a guy who is and what early favorite for the Heisman next year. Got to be. It's got to be. I know that there were some decisions. If you go back and look at the Alamo Bowl game against Texas, where 
you can be like some he just he was off on some. But yeah. it is what it is. There was so much layoff. You know, you 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 see different schemes and everything. So I'm not going to put that all on Michael Penix Jr. Um, I think that anytime I mean, hey, he was going up against some good defensive coaches, he was. Gary Patterson. I don't have a lot of nice things to say about him as a, as a Baylor grad, <laughs> but that man knows how to coach. He knows the X's and O's. Well, I also think that when you look at that, I think Texas's depth in their talent along that, and I know they're going to catch hell for a, a lot of things, but we can't neglect their, their talent is absurd every year. Yeah. They just haven't been able to put it together from a necessarily a developmental standpoint, but that is really starting to change under this regime, and it's going to be dangerous to see what they can do in the future. Uh, but Michael Penix Jr., man, like, I don't think anybody knew who the hell he was coming out of Indiana, other than like you, you people I, from up I follow, there. Followed Purdue, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, Y'all know. I knew, I, and I, I was, I was kind of scared. I was like, oh, hey, he's going, he's going to Washington. That, uh, that might be a good move. But you know, it's going to be interesting to see what he can do. I think Washington is one of those programs that, while they're going to have to, they're going to have obviously a major departure from their running back room. I think they have the depth there to kind of step up. Uh, you're going to have more and more playmakers go out there because why wouldn't you want to go play with a guy like Michael Penix Jr. If I'm a yeah. receiver, hell yeah, I want to go play with Michael Penix Jr. Of course. So th that's going to be one to watch. Cam Ward. Cam you're going to have Ward. Cam Ward coming back if you're a Washington Other State fan. Other end of the Apple Cup. I, look, man, Cam Ward has been remarkable uh, since his time at Cardin Word down in San Antonio. Um, it, it, just watching, he's thrown for over almost 5,000 yards. Uh, he's completing 65% of his passes, 47 touchdowns to just 10 interceptions. That is ridiculous. My thing, though, with Cam Ward is now that Eric Morris is gone, I mean, you were you – were, Glued at the hip with Eric Morris from Incarnate Word. You go out there. Now Eric Morris is taking over as the head coaching position at North Texas. How does that impact um, Cam? How does that impact Cam Ward? I think that it's kind of like a situation you're seeing with Bo Nix. It's going to be really intriguing to see. I just think his talent, his comfortability, I think he'll be fine, but I think you might see a little drop off from Cam Ward this season. Yeah, honestly, I, I'm with you on that one. It's. I also just think so many programs in the Pac-12 are crescendoing. They, they, like everyone's on an upswing right, right now, and so some someone's going to have to bite that bullet. Some one at least one program out there is going to suffer. I mean, we we started with what Oregon State, Oregon, and Washington. Now we're on Washington State. That's four out of the six in the north. Yeah, like I'm sorry, someone's going to suffer, and it's going to be one of those four. Plus a couple, a couple of others like it's so Cal intriguing. And Stanford. Yeah, I and mean, dude, I'm not even Cal, I'm gonna even bring Cal and Stanford up. Yeah, we'll leave them at the bottom, but like someone has to finish third from bottom, and in my mind, it, it's probably Washington State. In my mind, it's probably Colorado. Shoot, are they? In the, my bad. <laughs> no wait, I don't know how to think about the division, but anyway, I think when you look at Colorado, though, it, it's gonna be intriguing because you got Shadur Sanders coming over. Uh, obviously, Dion's son. I had an opportunity to cover him in high school. Um, it's been interesting to watch his progression. I'm not real. I've never really been sold on him. He's got the arm, but he's really inconsistent. Um, I, I think they really kind of rely on him way too much. They do too much through him, per se, because of the coach. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see what he can do because while the Pac-12 is going to get they're not going to be looked at as like a defensive juggernaut conference in, in the way maybe some, the SEC, the Big Ten, even the, the, the Big 12. I mean, that yeah, gets just, slept just on. Yeah, just wait for Shadur to pop off yeah. against SC. And that He's going to get rocked, Non-existence of a defense. Like, no. I, I just, yeah, well, no, he might. That, he might with with yeah. USC, he might go at USC. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> he might, unless they, look, USC needs to get rid of Alex Rich. 
Yeah. Like, bro, you got to, he's got to, he's got to go. Or that defense is going to be just like Oklahoma was under Lika Riley, and they're going to get exposed. You can score all the points in the war, world, but you got to stop them. You got to stop them. But Shadur, man, he, he's intriguing. Like, when you look at what he did at Jackson State in the SWAC, 79 touchdowns through the air. I, I just, I don't see that happening out there. Nope. Um, he's obviously going to have a lot of talent around him. Uh, Dion is, is one of those guys, he's like a magnet, right? Like his persona, his personality, what he's been able to do, his, his track record speaks for itself. He's going to get the talent there. I just don't know that they're going to be able to put it together. And I don't know what the realistic expectations are for a guy like Shadur and the program at Colorado as a whole. I don't know what the realistic expectations are aside from being better than they were last year. But that and can't I, be much difficult. It, it, it would be tough to be worse. And frankly, I think that Sanders and Son, they will they will pull them up to three, four wins maybe. <laughs> they could. They could. One intriguing school that I'm looking at here we is – We get to UCLA now? Or, hey, let's go to UCLA. Dante Moore coming in. Dante Moore. That was really intriguing to me, that flip. It that was. That set some dominoes off in the recruiting world. Ask Baylor. It damn sure <laughs> did. So, I, look, look, Dominic Moore, five-star quarterback, number three in the 2023 class uh, out of Detroit. It's, it's hard for me to, to – well, I know he's talented. What kind of defenses were you playing week in and week out? Did the system you play in, was it catered to you? Like, okay, for instance, when you look at all these quarterbacks coming out of Matter Day, right? Yep. Like, or even, I don't know, Westlake, you could say. They have so much talent around them. How good are you truly? Because it's easy to stand back there and throw the ball up to five stars and let them run under it left and right. I, I, with Dante Moore, I'm going to be intrigued to see how his I'm, progression I'm, is. That You saying that just reminds me of, oh, what was it, Tate? Was it Martel? Tate Martell. Yeah, that just reminds me of Tate Martell. Yeah. You go to Gorman. You've got so much, so much talent around you. And then you hop around to how many different colleges has he has he made it to now? Man, he broke the transfer portal. I don't even know. Meanwhile, his understudy at Gorman, DTR, is a guy who's leaving UCLA in great shape now. Yeah. So but, it, like it it's really you you do not know what you're getting. You don't. And it, it, I, I, look, I'm not I think he's gonna be fine in the end. And who's to say he doesn't hit the portal in a couple years? I mean, you know, it, yeah. it, it, we never know what's going to happen there. Um, let's head a little more west. Yeah, I mean, sorry, a little sorry, more east. Sorry, let's, I derailed no, your trip there. No, you're good. Let's <laughs> reel it in. And let's go to Arizona. When you look at Arizona uh, State, this is, gonna, this is one of the programs I'm really intrigued to watch. I, I think that it's a campus that is very attractive. Young people want to go out there. You want to be in the desert. You want to do your thing. We know what Arizona <laughs> State's about. Uh, but the product on the field has really suffered at times. And it's got a good history. Um, it's not up there with some of the programs in the, the, the Pac-12 as far as traditionally. But they've had a lot of key players come through there. I was kind of really disappointed with Herm Edwards' tenure. Yeah. Um, I think he's kind of falls in that boat when we're looking at what I said with Dabo. Like, it's an NFL guy. And it's so much easier now, I feel like, to be an NFL coach compared to a college coach. The hours, the just everything into it. So, I understand him getting out. You bring in Kenny Dillingham, Arizona State guy. I mean, through and through. And then, not only that, you bring in Drew Pine coming in. And I like Drew Pine. I think he's a serviceable quarterback. He did some good things for Notre Dame. Um for over 2,000 yards to 22 touchdowns. I mean, it's, it's, it's good. It's better than what they had. It's not going to blow you off the, blow you off the map. Uh, but I think that they're going to be an intriguing – I think when you look at what Kenny Dillingham can do offensively from a coaching standpoint, I'm interested to see what he can do with Drew Pine and his development. Yeah. In my mind, 
Arizona State, when it's been at its best, at least when they flash to me, it's when they've been going off on offense. It's when they've been innovative on that end, when they've had a playmaker, a quarterback who can just go pull stuff out of his hat and have fun, really kind of like play into like the personality of the school even. Yeah. just go out there and have a party on the field. And so it's one, cool to see them hopefully going in that direction with Dillingham. And two, it's going to be interesting to see more competition hopefully rise up in oh, yeah. Pac-12 South. It, it, their competition is there. It's going to, I mean, undoubtedly, the, the competition is there. And it's definitely going to be, the, the Pac-12 is going to be, it's crazy to say, but it's going to be so fun. Like, I want to, it's going to be, be watching conference. so much Pac-12 football next year. It's absurd. We're, we're going to get to this at some point in the off in the off season, but the the fighting between Pac-12 and Big 12 fans oh. and just how similar the conferences are becoming. They're like a mirror each other almost. And it's just a matter of like, TCU wins on Monday. The Big 12's got that. Yeah. The Big 12's got that to hold over. But right now, as a Big 12 person, I'm like, do we really have that much to hold over the Pac-12? I mean, we like to say we're the knife fight with teams that actually make the playoff. But, like, the knife the knife fight's there in both conferences. It is. Um, I think the, the one intriguing aspect is, well, the, the difference maker is, if when you look this year at the Pac-12, their one opportunity to get in was USC. And if you're a Pac-12 fan... Do you really want USC to get in there? I mean, like, not if you're a Big now, 12 fan, you know did, you, did you want Oklahoma in? Did Heck you want no. Texas in? So no. that's what I'm saying. I, I don't think that it was going to do anything beneficial if USC was to make the national championship regardless. But Caleb Williams is going to be back next year. He's just won the Heisman Trophy. And that's the thing that makes the Pac-12 so, like, honestly, so much more intriguing next year. The quarterback, like, stable that they have. The talent they have at the most important position in football just seems to be that much far, far beyond the Big 12. It's, it, it's honestly a little sad for the Big 12. Well, it is, but I think the, the Big 12 has got its, its, its benefits, and you're obviously going to have some good quarterback play, but there's not, gonna, there's not a conference in the nation that's going to have this caliber of quarterback play across the board, which is really intriguing. And Caleb Williams, I was, I was kind of disappointed with his performance, no, I wouldn't say I was disappointed with his performance against Tulane. It, that Tulane was just a really good team, but I think that when you win the Heisman, you can't go out and and lose to a and look. Pardon me, a, a group of five program, even though they did beat K State. Put some respect on Tulane. <laughs> look, Come I will, on. man. I, look, I have all the respect in the world for what Willie Fritz and them were able to do. It, it's a tremendous program, but I think if you're USC, that was kind of like a black eye that you really can't get rid of. Uh, and if you're Caleb Williams, how do you build off of that heading into this season? Uh, the offense is going to be fine. It's their defense that's suspect, and that's what they're going to have to sure up if they want to win a national championship, in my mind. Yeah, and uh, it's cool to see them all rising. But at this point now, we're, uh, we're also seeing some programs out there kind of falling off a little bit. And uh, the transfer portal is making that all that much easier. It is, and one of those programs who are falling off, Oklahoma State. We're going to get come back next, and we're going to take a look at what is going on in Stillwater. But you're listening to the College Chaos Podcast. Welcome back to the College Chaos Podcast. Garrett Ross and Jack McKenzie here with you. And now, if you are an Oklahoma State fan, you might want to check out, but you also might want to let us know what the hell is going on in Stillwater. I, 
I've never seen a program, Jack, go from literally inches, inches. You see that inches. inches. I can't. I don't know if y'all can see exactly what that <laughs> is, but that is what people down here in Waco refer to as the McPlay. <laughs> yes, sir. You probably already looked away once you realized what it <laughs> Your is. Eyeballs are burning. You were literal inches away from the college football playoff. You are inches away. You have everything, all the momentum going in your favor, and yet you come out the next season. And I know a lot of people have given Baylor flack about not building off of what they were able to establish. Oklahoma State is in some serious trouble here, man. They go 7-6 and six on the season, 4-5 and five in the Big 12, and everybody has hit the portal. What, everybody. What, what were you, All right. When you started seeing the news come out, I think it really probably started with Spencer Sanders. And while, look, I know a lot of people are high on Spencer Sanders. They really like him. I, I'm, I think he's average as a bull of grits. Like, I, he's, he's just is what it is. He's an interception machine. Once he hits a good defense, he starts throwing those picks and yeah. making mistakes. And I think that's probably why he is still sitting in the portal because a lot of coaches are seeing that. Now, look, if you're a program who just needs a, a Band-Aid, some, a guy. I understand why he moved on. Yeah. Like, let, let's be real. This is, this is a guy who did about all he could do in Stillwater. And the way it seems like things are trending there, it makes complete sense why he hit the portal along with the, I don't know, a better term than mass exodus of yeah. guys. So during his, his tenure at Oklahoma State, he threw for almost 10,000 yards, 67 touchdowns. And he played in 43 games. On the ground, I mean, he's versatile, almost rushed for 2,000 yards. But he was always getting banged up. Um, at times, I think that he, the game overwhelmed him. And, and so I understand that. But when you look at this right now, dude, offensively, they've lost eight guys to the portal, mm-hmm. uh, including Langston Anderson. Uh, you lost Bryson Green. You're, Braylon you're, Presley. Braylon Presley. Younger brother of Brennan Presley. And Brennan was a pretty good poke. He was. And, and here's the thing with Presley. Sorry, maybe not was. I think he's still a junior. So Yeah. But, but, okay. But let's, let's talk about Presley, right? Yeah. You go from Oklahoma State to Tulsa? To Tulsa. To Tulsa? It, that's that's kind of damning. It's, it makes no sense a to me. A group of five program in your own state. Yeah. Like, dude. Tol- like, close to home? That's not a... I'm sorry. In the same state, unless it's a state as big as Texas, you can't tell me I need to be closer to home and then stay in state. No, no. I mean, I'm going somewhere else. And, and look, I'm not going to say... I'm not, I'm not sitting here poo-pooing on Tulsa or anything. You know, they're a solid program, but they are significant step down from Oklahoma State. Not only that, dude, you lose Dominic Richardson. Uh, Tremendous running back. And not only that, you lose him to Baylor. In conference. In conference. Um, you know, and And he's the exact type of back Baylor needs. We're not gonna get into that, but like he's he's like Abram Smith. Yeah. And they need a pounder. And you know, they know well what Abram Smith did for them. Absolutely, like, dude. And I think it's going to be, I think he is the perfect fit to get into Baylor's scheme. Um, at the day after the Armed Forces Bowl, uh, Smokey and I had Dominic on 365 Sports in the afternoon. Go check that out, like, and subscribe. And listening to him talk, man, it, he was really relieved like at that he found a program and we were, he was talking about Baylor and why he chose Baylor and it was like I like that family atmosphere and you hear that from a lot you know covering recruiting that's one of the 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 key points I hear from a lot of guys why they choose Baylor is the family atmosphere and listening and reading between the lines that was lost at Oklahoma State and, and I think a lot of guys up there 
are seeing it start to get toxic. I think when you look at Mike Gundy's rants and all of the annex, I, I think he's like Dabo. He's like Jim Harbaugh. He just doesn't want to be in it no more. He's tried to get out of Stillwater so many times, it's ridiculous. And I think right now, everybody's just like, we're done with this. We're done with Gundy. I think this is probably his last year coaching in Stillwater. I think it probably should be. They definitely need to, to refresh things up there. Um, but just listening to – I'm not saying he said that. I'm not saying Dominic said there was a bad culture up there. But just listening to his tone, and, and that's what I took away from it. And when you see all of these departures, man, that's a, a straight reflection of that, in my opinion. Yeah, it, it's a reflection of that. I also feel like it's a reflection of I, – I remember Oklahoma State from years ago – being a dynamic offense, being a fun program to watch, not not necessarily on par with like OU or anything, but you know it was the Big Twelve. Everyone was kind of like that. Five of these transfers on offense are wide receivers. Mm. I don't think people like the direction the program is going on the field and in the locker room. No, nope. I think it's both, and it, like you're you're really digging into that in the locker room aspect and with with. Everything that's swirled around Gundy, like I swear, there, every offseason there's something. He he gets prickly at something, like he did after the after the bowl game with that reporter who had no idea when he'd get when he'd get access to Gundy. Exactly. Next. Like, and he didn't ask. He, he asked just, a legit question. And it's it's a long season, and that's that's a tough way to end it. But yeah, it just there's always something, and it seem, it really does seem like. The recruiting, the constantly having to worry about the guys you already have in-house, in your locker room, the guys who are supposed to be bought in because they've committed and they're here and they're doing the work, they're with the team. Some people just aren't built for it, and it's weird that the rules have changed, so now you've got people who are so built, so ready to succeed the way the rules used to be. And now seeing them, seeing how it's gotten for them, when the rules have changed, and now they're just they're not built for it anymore. You got to adapt, man. In every aspect and every facet of life, you got to adapt, or you're going to get left behind. Uh, and I think we're seeing that a lot right now across the board uh, in general. But you know, even on the defensive side, dude, you lose Mason Cobb to USC. Trace that, Ford, that's the brutal. End. Trace Ford, you lose all of your key. Uh, Demarco Jones, everybody's gone. I, when you look at this, I feel like Oklahoma State is in a, a position now where. You go from being what was supposed to be one of the face programs of the new Big 12 to damn near an afterthought. If you're going to bring in programs like UCF and what Gus Malzahn has built down there, what they have going on out in BYU, Cincinnati, well, they had a down year. All right, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not real sold on Cincinnati. Me neither. I, I'm really I was sold not. on Luke Fickle. I'm not sold I, on Cincinnati. I'm not sold on, I'm not sold on Satterfield. So I'll kind of leave them out of there. Uh, Houston, I think if Houston, and look, we can get into this next week. They have a cultural issue going on down there with Holgerson. But if they get the right guy in there, and look, maybe Hogerson figures it out, but the expectations are a little different now if you're Houston. I felt like Holgerson, and I didn't look into it too deep. I felt like he was running from something at West Virginia. Like he didn't want some of the expectations that were there. I don't even know if it was the expectations. I think that he's kind of like Gundy and he rubbed people the wrong way after a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that too. And so now the expectations are higher and he, the spotlight's going to be that much brighter and that much hotter. And I don't think he's built for the modern coaching game. I don't think he is either. But all and right, he, and then you see guys like elsewhere in the conference, like Dykes and McGuire, who oh. seem like they are built for this. Yeah, th they are. And, and I, there are questions about guys like Aranda and Sark. Like, are they built? For, can they handle this? Look, uh, 
Let me tell you something. Dave Aranda's built for this. Dave Aranda's staff that he's put together is built for this. They have young guys who can recruit. They have young guys who can relate. Sorry, I just derailed this into Baylor. I'm not no, trying to. No, you're fine. But, but, but I mean, Derek Baylor's going to be fine. But when you're looking ahead to next season, I think Oklahoma State is a program who, honestly, has got to be down towards the bottom, man. Like, I, I don't know how you can come back from something like this. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but you're not tech. And look, when I say this, I say this with a take it with a grain of salt. But you're not Texas A&M, and Texas A&M is is what they are. But they have the the NIL influx to where they can lose twenty something people to the portal and kind of bring back and keep the talent across the board. You're still going to be average in the SEC, but Oklahoma State is not in a position to do that. And I think that when you head into next season, there are some real concerns. Garrett Rangel did not look good at the quarterback position against Wisconsin. You know, he was good in high school at Frisco Lone Star. I mean, he, he really was. But I don't know if he's – obviously, he's going to have to develop. But if you don't have the pieces around you, I don't care how good you are, man. You're going to struggle. And I think the Pokes are a real trouble next year to, to kind of finish in the probably the lower – like one of the lower three teams in the conference. I mean, the only thing I, I can say at this point is that this is it. This is this is when Gundy shows whether or not he can adapt. This year, this is – I can't say make or break for a coach who's clearly made it at least one era. It should be make or break. But it's make or break for the future. Absolutely of, of is. And Oklahoma State. It like, really it, is. It, I th- I, it's weird. Starting this segment, I was like, I don't know if it's his last – it's his last year if they don't make a bowl, in my mind. I, I would have fired even him. then. I would have fired him after this year. Like, you can't look at all this if you're the administration and be comfortable with what's happening. There's obviously something going on. You can see it. Everybody sees it. It's just a matter of addressing it. And I understand he's one of the greatest players to ever come through there. I mean, the dude bleeds orange or whatever, however you want to put that. <laughs> but you got to get past that at times, man. You can't let your personal relationships keep you in a bad situation that's going to negatively impact you, and that's exactly what's happening right now in Stillwater. But on the good side, if you're a Pokes fan, Mike Boykin, you got them rolling on the basketball court, especially after last season uh, where you had those NCAA sanctions that were wrongfully given to you. That should have been given to Kansas, but they weren't. But we're going to get into some Big 12 basketball coming up next. Primarily, we're going to look at K-State and Jerome Tane coming back to Waco to take on his mentor, his right-hand man, Scott Drew. That's next on the College Chaos Podcast. Welcome back into the final segment here of the College Chaos Podcast with Garrett Ross and Jack McKenzie. And Jack, let's talk a little round ball, man. Uh, Kansas State coming to Waco, Jerome Tang making his way back after being with Scott Drew for over 20-something years and building a dynasty, really. Not necessarily a dynasty, but one of the top programs in the nation as far as it goes when you look at men's basketball and national championship. And going to Kansas State, I was really excited. I was really happy for Coach Tang. Obviously, you don't want to see somebody depart that, that you know you really like, but at the same time, you wish them well. You want to see him. I think that Coach Tang has – been in a position where he could be a head coach uh, at any program in the nation for about a decade now. Um, and I think that he finally found the right fit for him. Uh, a great program who was established with Kansas State, even going back to, um, oh, Frank Frank Martin, right before uh, he headed to South Carolina. And I don't even know where he's at now. I can't remember if he's still at uh, South Carolina I'm or not. I'm not sure either. But, I mean, Jerome really timed that up perfectly. I mean, jumping straight into the best conference in college basketball – and he's starting off hot. 
He I'm, really is, dude. They, when you look at, at Kansas State right now, man, they're 13-1. They're 2-0 in the Big 12. And they are coming off their biggest win in program history as they go into Austin and knock off the Longhorns 116-103. to I was really shocked. And, look, I'm not taking anything away from Kansas State. Um, but Texas is a really good program with a lot of um, a lot of stuff distractions going on right now. To, to say a lot going of around stuff there. going on. But I and mean, Kansas State shot the lights out. That's the thing. Uh, Marquise Knoll went off. He had a career high thirty six points. He hit six threes, dude. He had nine assists. And Keontae Johnson balled out. He had twenty eight points, nine boards, five assists. And I don't think that. I, I, look, Kansas State is going to score on almost anybody, night in and night out. I just do not see how you could put that type of performance together back-to-back, and especially against a Baylor team who right now, they're, they're like a wounded animal. Oh, like very they much. Have, they, they cannot, it's a, this is a must-win. This is nut-up-or-shut-up time if you're a Baylor coming Saturday when uh, the, the Wildcats make their way to Waco. Honestly, they, not just a wounded animal, they seem like a wounded puppy. <laughs> they need to find that dog in them. I'm I'm sorry, but like they they don't seem like when their backs against the wall, they're gonna lash out. Seems no. like they're it seems like they're gonna cover up and try and cover up like a good boxer, but they're not gonna be ready to hit you with that counter punch. No, I, and look, I, I think a lot of Baylor when I watch them, um, the defense by the guards at times is suspect. Keontae in particular, uh, and I think that comes from being young. I think that comes from being so used to playing AAU basketball and being the best person on the court that you necessarily, not necessarily, didn't have to play defense. AAU basketball is just a different it, beast. It is. And, and I think that kind of negatively hinders a lot of guys, not just him, but a lot of guys that come out of that circuit in I general. Mean, I see the, the way I see it is your biggest guard, your most athletic guard is Keontae, the guy who's probably played the least defense against high-level competition in his life. Your second best is Adam Flagler. Who's your point guard? He's got to be focused on running that offense. And then your third, the third option here out of your starters is LJ Cryer, the smallest guy who's dealt with the most injuries lately. So it, that's not a good recipe. Like your best defender on the team is probably Dale Bonner, who's coming off the bench. Oh, hold on, you're the leader of the Dale Bonner fan club. <laughs> so, so, so talk a little bit about Dale. What makes him so special from a defensive standpoint? Defensive wise, he is where the athleticism meets the desire and probably a little bit of the risk-taking. He likes to jump those passing lanes. Uh, he could get a bit better at staying in front of defenders on drives, and everyone on the Baylor team could get better at help side defense. Uh, but at this point, it's looking like Baylor's going to have to go away from from being able to play Bonner because they he just doesn't have the offensive production that can get him minutes on a team that is going to have to just try and outscore people. Do you think that at this point with, I guess, the, the defensive inefficiencies that Scott Drew kind of reverts back to that zone mentality and they try to give the 2-3 a, a work? I don't think you can revert to zone right now. I am by no means uh, – so on sickin365.com, the site that, that we both uh, write for Baylor for, mm -hmm. um, Kendall Cout, he is our big basketball expert. Follow Kendall. Follow Kendall if you want insight on Baylor basketball. Follow Kendall if you just want to know more about basketball. Yes. But in my in my opinion, my less educated opinion, I think that it is too late in the season, unless they've repped plenty of zone, to start throwing that into 
these young guys head. You need young guys like Joshua. You need young guys like Keontae and like Langston to step up here and to be better and to get it figured out on both ends of the court. So I don't think you can start throwing them into the deep end of. We're going to change up our defenses a lot. I think you just have to find the two or three variations of a man defense that work best for those guys that they know this is where I need to be when and this is how I react to this and that. So I don't think going to zone as much as it might – it's not even a crutch. It's not a crutch Drew goes back to. It's a fun toy at this point, and I just don't think they can use it this year. I think when I look at this team, what really kind of makes me a little nervous is the play of their big men. Uh, when you go back and look at that national championship team, uh, you know you had Jonathan Tomochachua out there, and unfortunately he's dealt with an injury that we would love to see him back. I wish him nothing but the best and everything. But you had Flo. Um, Flo, man, I just like I know Flo is the winningest player in in program history, but he's so inconsistent. Something is off with him this year, and I'm not sure if it's he's regressed because he he took a clear step up after after Chachua went down last year. And I just don't know if it's he stepped back, he's missing something. He is not what he was in the back half of last year, and Baylor needed, needed him this year to be like that Flo Thamba, and he just has not been that. No, he's airball a dunk Flo Thamba right now, and we can't have that. Like, you cannot have that. I don't care. And look, It's I think, like a 50% chance of a turnover you, yeah, you throw it to him on the roll. It and is. It, you can't have that. No, and I think when you look at a guy like Caleb Lohner uh, coming over from BYU, I wasn't big on this. I know me and you had talked to the pre in the preseason that you liked the move. Um, I really was kind of suspect of it. And I think you're seeing right now where – I can't remember what game it was earlier in the, the year. It was on the road. And I'm watching him go for loose balls, and he's getting thrown around like a rag doll. And I'm like, dude, you've got to get in the weight room. You've got to be more aggressive it's so I, weird. I can't figure out. Like he, he looks like yes. he should not be thrown around like no. that. But there is there's something for him that's not clicking right now. You can see it. You could you could see it, especially when Wednesday night against TCU. You could just kind of see it on his face. There were a couple mistakes he made where he, he just something's not clicking. Mm -hmm. And and for for his sake, for Baylor's sake, you hope it starts clicking. But that's why Kansas State scares me as as a as a Baylor writer as a Baylor alum Kansas State is looking scary coming into this one because I think they are so bought in they they believe in what Jerome Tang is is teaching them preaching to them and I they might end up being a more cohesive team and that's why they could pull this one out here in Waco I, I think they can and I really feel like Baylor's guards uh they have the better guards in this matchup. Uh, look, I, and that's not to take anything away um, from guys like Noel or, and them, uh, but I think it's really going to come down to in the paint. It's going to come down to your physicality. Um, Baylor's really got to step up. They need somebody to to really come in and be that Mark Vital, be that glue guy, be Freddie Gillespie. Like, get some heart, be man. Be the villain. Exactly. Mark Vital, it, like, it's his brand. He embraced that villain. And, like... Not in like a way that goes against Scott Drew and all the joy stuff. No, but like I, I, I actually asked uh, in a in a press conference earlier this year. I, I asked L.J. Cryer, um, who is that? Is there someone who has that? Not, I didn't say that dog in him, but I was like that mentality. Is there, there a guy who's going to step up and like embrace being the villain? Kind of. He's like, and he said, 
there are some guys who who might who could, but that's no one's good, really that's, done. That's yeah, not a good. That's not, that's what not you the answer hear. you want. No, that's not the answer you want. That's what concerns me about this team, and that's what was honestly concerning last year. Yeah, because like Akinjo, as as much as he's got that dog in him, he, he's kind of the the quiet dog. You know, it's there. You, but there's not even that guy on this team. There's not even the quiet dog on this team. To me, nobody on that team last year showed the dog um, until the tournament play. I think that's you can't, you, you can't deny the dog when with that showing against that, that comeback against North Carolina. But otherwise, it was another year that felt a lot like this. And you can't wait for the tournament to turn that on. You can't. The dog is not something you turn on and off. No. You wake up and you are the dog. So right now, Baylor is 0-2 in conference play. Not ideal. When you look at this matchup, what is the key to Baylor coming away victorious? And what, how, what's the score you're looking at in, in, if you're going into this game? Baylor's got to score 80 to win. They have to score 80 to win. And I think that's just going to be a blanket statement for the rest of the year unless that defense all of a sudden figures something out. Does the tank factor come into Baylor's heads at all? Baylor's heads? Personally, I don't think so. I don't think they're worried about it. I think they're like, great, love to see them. We've got to keep doing our thing. I think they're really going to be focused on themselves as much as they can. Obviously, you have to hit the scouting report and all. But I don't think they're worried about offensively or defensively, Jerome, having any extra insight. They put so much film on tape this year. The mm -hmm. team is so – there's so much turnover from the team from last year right. already. I just – if there's pressure on anyone, I think there's pressure on Tang to come in and have a good showing. Not even win, but just right. to have a good showing against his old mentor. Show that, yeah, he, he's, not, he's not the student anymore. Yep. That's a good point, man. Well, that's going to be all for us today. Uh, we appreciate everyone tuning in to the inaugural episode of the College Chaos Podcast. Uh, we're going to come back next week. We're going to try to do this, what, maybe twice a week? Yeah, probably twice a week from, from here on out. Yeah, I like that idea. So, uh, Jack, where can people find you at on social media and find your work? Uh, on Twitter, I'm at JackMac1998. Um, uh, photography stuff, I'm on Instagram at Jack underscore McKenzie, two underscores. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, we're going we're gonna to get a Twitter set up for this podcast, and it, it's going to be fun. We're going to be putting out a lot of stuff. Uh, hope you guys uh, come along for the ride. Yeah, and man, and you can find me on Twitter at underscore Garrett Ross. I usually have articles out there weekly, daily, pretty much. Uh, and then, obviously... Uh, go like, subscribe, follow all of our family of shows as we continue to grow this company, 365 Sports and sickle 365com uh, But that's going to do it. We appreciate y'all listening, and we'll catch y'all next week.